Hey, this is your host, AJ Rounds, along here with my co-host, Jake McCarg from CB Vault, and I'm from Rev Road. We're excited here for this week's Midnight Founders podcast episode with Rachel Kornberg. She's the founder and owner of uh, Aubrey and Bear, which is a really cool story. I love how she told us about how her business is built on a mission to help those that are in the NICU with their babies have a better experience. And from there, it's grown huge, even even through a move from state to state. Um, and uh, she's grown this thing with herself and her husband helping behind the scenes. It's a really cool story. I think you're going to love it. Get ready for an awesome episode. Okay, let's get started. All right. Welcome to another episode of the Midnight Founders podcast. We're excited to be here. Uh, today, we're interviewing Rachel Kornberg with Audrey and Bear. Hi, how are you? Hey, Rachel. Great. We're good. Good to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Cool. It was a long walk from uh, from your facilities, which are about 10 steps away to here, <laughs> wasn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> We're in our building. Great. Love this. Well, Rachel, we'd love to know more about Audrey and Bear. Can you tell us um, kind of how you got the idea, how it got started, um, and yeah, why, why Audrey and Bear? Yeah, so this is a it's a long story. We'll give you a semi abbreviated version. Um, when my husband was active duty military, we lived in Eagle River, Alaska. We were stationed there for four years. Cool. And I was a new mom. I had one child, and I was really bored. <laughs> uh, so I started a little Etsy store, and I had Audrey, who was my first daughter, and Bear, who was our our pup. And so I'm seeing I named, a connection yep. here. Yep. So the original name of the company was Audrey's Bear. That's what I had named my Etsy store. We rebranded a few years ago and they said no more apostrophes. So it became Audrey and Bear. Um, so I started my little Etsy store and I had a few things in there. It was more just a hobby, something fun to do. And um, then as I was approaching having my second child, I realized that she was not going to have anything that was uniquely hers at all. Everything that she was going to have was a hand-me-down and in some weird way that only very pregnant women will understand, it brought me a lot of anxiety <laughs> that she was never going to have anything that was uniquely hers. <laughs> and so in the middle of the night, I had this idea that I was going to be able to design something that had her name on it that I could give to her when she was born and it would be my gift to her and my way to kind of present her to my family in a fun and unique way. And I really didn't think anything of it. And I definitely didn't think that anyone else would ever want to buy one. <laughs> it was kind of just my present to her. So I, in the morning when I woke up, cause I had this idea in the middle of the night, cause you don't sleep when you're Midnight a half founder, pregnant. There, there you, you go, go, right there. <laughs> um, I, I pulled out my Photoshop. The one thing that I feel like I brought from college was my Photoshop knowledge. <laughs> Uh, and I created a design and I thought, you know, for sure at this point, it was 2014, somebody has figured out how to print on fabric. I didn't know how to do it and I didn't know anyone who knew how to do it, but I did some research and I found a company that I could upload my files and they would print it for me and send it to me and then I could turn it into whatever I wanted it to be. Um, so I did, I uploaded so my just files. Just to clarify, so you were taking plain fabric and you wanted to put designs on it that were unique onto the fabric. Is that right? Right. Okay. I didn't know... Really, that that's I didn't know how it, how it happened. Oh, I just okay. figured at this point somebody had figured out how to do that, mm -hmm. and and I did. I found somebody to do it. So the f interesting. I mean, there's a lot of hinge points I think in this story, and one of them was this fabric was going to cost me twenty six dollars for one yard of fabric, and that was a lot of money for me. We had no money. We were broke, <laughs> and I I really waffled back and forth on 
do I do this? Is this too much of a splurge? Mm, I don't know. And I finally just pulled the trigger and went for it. And I'm so glad I did. <laughs> um, I got the fabric a few weeks later and I had just gotten a serger for Christmas. And so I surged the edges and I packed it up and put it in my hospital bag. And then when she was born, I wrapped her up in it and took a picture. And it turns out everybody thought it was really, really cool. Mm. It was it was cool because I was able to present her in a way that nobody else had before oh. um, and give her something special, but also really validating that people thought that it was a cool idea. And I almost didn't even put it on my Etsy store until my husband suggested that I probably should. Mm. So that was the tax write-off idea. That was the tax write-off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, Get us for husbands to think about uh, that, yeah. right? <laughs> Uh, so I put it on there and a, a couple months later I got a first order which is incredibly validating. It's an amazing feeling for those two months. I remember checking Etsy like 20 times a day trying to see if anybody cared about anything that I had put out there. Mm -hmm. And when that first order came in it's just this overwhelming flood of validation that makes you want to you know, continue and do it's more. It's a thing. More. It's a lot. It is a thing. Uh, what, so, how did you know about price point and, and all of that? How did you figure all that out? Oh, I didn't. I knew nothing about pricing. Absolutely okay. nothing. I, I thought if I want anybody else to buy this, I'm only going to be able to sell it for as much as I would want to pay for it. And mm. I don't really like, I don't have any money. So I priced them super low, mm. but also, uh, eight and a half years ago, nobody else was doing this. I didn't know of any other company that was doing personalized swaddle blankets at all. I couldn't find one. And so it wasn't necessarily a search term that people were, were searching on a regular basis. And I didn't have any social media. We didn't even have our own website. It was just an Etsy store. So we were, we were depending on, you know, the Etsy search engine wow. and nobody was searching for it. So it took some time. Yeah. Um, we didn't have any marketing really. So the first few years was all just word of mouth until um, somebody, uh, her name is Rachel Cavanaugh. She reached out and she had a baby at 29 weeks and her baby was in the NICU. And I didn't know anyone who'd ever had, had a baby in the NICU. I didn't know what that experience was like. I just couldn't imagine being in her shoes at all. And I just bawled my face off and I felt so bad. And I wished at that point that I could just give her what she wanted and what she was asking for, but I couldn't. I didn't have any money and I couldn't do it. So I gave her a discount. It was like not even a great discount. She was so appreciative and she turns out she was a blogger, <laughs> which I didn't know because I wasn't ever on social media. And after she got it, she put it under her little two pound baby in the, in her isolate and she posted a picture of it. And she said, you really should have an Instagram account because I know a lot of people would really, really love this. And I was like, okay, how do I set up an Instagram account? Cause I didn't have one. <laughs> I didn't know how to use it. And, um, things really took off after, after she posted about it. So it was organic growth after um, about a year on our Etsy store, the people who I was printing with discontinued our fabric completely and they didn't know when they were going to bring it back, which is significant because... Where were they based? Was it here local? Uh, no, I think they were in North Carolina. North we Carolina. were in Alaska. It was, it was so a cross-country shipping and yeah. everything. Got it. Um, and I couldn't find anybody else who would print on this specific kind of fabric. Mm. And it matters because... When I had my first baby, we used muslin swaddle blankets. You guys are dads. I don't know if you know the difference between swaddle blankets and swaddle blankets, but... Eh. Somewhat. <laughs> I mean, I, I know something about blankets, but... It's... Muslin blankets, don't, they don't stretch at all. Oh, They're really okay. breathable, but they don't stretch, and they really don't work okay. at all. And the I, kids just get their arms right out. Okay, they, thanks it, for the explanation. I use mine for go. a burp cloth. Like, they spit up on it, and that's oh, really okay. what it's okay. good for. Um, and I knew with the second baby and every baby you learn more and you want to do things different. And 
So I knew I wanted to do something better, and I had found this fabric at Joann's that was super stretchy and really soft. And the fabric that I found to print on was very similar. It had a lot of the same qualities, which was what made these swaddle blankets work and were really special on top of it because they had the baby's name in it. Um, and they told me they didn't know if they were ever going to bring it back. And so at that point, that was one of these really major hinge points for us because we had to decide what on earth are we going to do? We, we thought maybe we had two options. One was to refund everybody's money and just turn it off because we could. We weren't super heavily invested at that point. It was just me in a craft room and a computer mm. and my serger, which I used for other things anyway. So we could have completely turned it off. It would have been a whole lot easier mm -hmm. to do that. Uh, not nearly as rewarding. Or the other option was to learn how to print fabric, mm. which nobody eight years ago wanted to give us a tutorial on how to print fabric. It's interesting that was such a niche. I never yeah. would have thought that. It was hard to pull information out of anyone, and it wasn't super readily available mm. on the internet. So we finally pieced a few things together and found an equipment company. And after a lot of prayer and pondering and feeling like we had received some sort of answer, uh, we decided to go for it. But I mean, it was a $50,000 investment out of our own pockets, which were not deep. So we're talking a pretty serious investment we didn't know anyone who had money. We didn't know to ask anyone for money. It was just like, okay, we'll do it because we feel like we should. So we did it. <laughs> and um, That's cool. The heart of an entrepreneur right there. Jumping off the cliff. Yeah. Yep. It was Here we go. jumping off a cliff. Yeah. And those first, those first couple of years were brutal. Oh, I bet. They were intense. There was so many things that didn't go right over and over and over again. Uh, but once I feel like we've, we learned how to print... Um, I learned how to hire people. I had, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot yeah. going on there, but we were in Alaska. And then after we brought our first set of equipment up there, um, first of all, Alaska is a little different. People think that it takes the same amount of time to ship something to Alaska as it does everywhere else. It does. And it takes about 15 times longer. So they said, sure, we'll have this up in like two weeks, three months later. And I had 500 open no orders way. that I had to fulfill. They finally <laughs> wow. got the equipment up there. <laughs> That's stressful. And I Their spent... Their babies are now toddlers. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, my baby was born two weeks ago. Are you going to get it? Growing up. <laughs> uh, that was intense. The power in the building that we first found, they said it was three-phase power. Once we got in there, it wasn't three-phase power. And we had to pay to put in three-phase power, which was really expensive. Uh, the people that brought up the equipment, I had 24 <laughs> hours only 24 hours with an actual tech to learn how to use two totally different machines in order to make oh. it work. Um, and my husband worked 15 hour days. He was a field artillery officer at, attached to an airborne unit. So mm. he was gone all the time. And so I worked at night while the kids were sleeping and then I was up with the kids all day. And that only lasted about six months before I felt like I was completely falling apart. Mm. And we had to have help. So we moved to Utah at that point. Great. And, and that was to be close to family or something to help with the kids or what? It was also double pronged. Everything in our life is, has a lot of things. Sure. <laughs> uh, yes, my family's here. His family was here at that point. Then they left and came back. Um, but he also wanted to do get a law degree from BYU. So got it. He got a scholarship. Our family was here. It was just kind of, we made the decision and three weeks later we were down here. Wow. We don't do things long we do things very very quickly. make it happen right away we just do it i love it so uh you guys are printing custom blankets for 
babies. Um, tell us about the Swaddle for Swaddle program. Yeah, so Swaddle for Swaddle came from that first mom that I told you about with her Nikki baby. Um, I knew that from those very first days that if I was going to have a business and I was going to spend my time doing it, it sure as well was going to be for a better reason than just to make money. Because I'm not going to spend my life yeah. just to make money because what is the point? I mean, yeah, there is a point to that. You can enjoy a lot of things in life. But at the end of the day, it's just money. It's just money and it has no meaning behind it. So if I was going to do this and spend my life doing it, then there was going to be something for me to give back. And so we started Swaddle for Swaddle. So for every swaddle blanket that was purchased, we donated one to a baby in a NICU. In the beginning, it was also pediatric cancer centers. Um, but our connections, at the beginning of COVID, everything kind of fell apart because nobody was accessible anymore. Nobody mm. would take anything. Nobody would talk to anybody. And so we really had to rethink how we were mm. how we were That's too bad. doing that with people. What yeah, it was really though. unfortunate. Yeah. It was hard to get stuff in. It was hard... To it was hard to, I mean, it was hard for everybody, but. So we had a baby uh, later, fast forward a couple years, and uh, I didn't even know about the Swaddle for Swaddle program. Mm-hmm. Um, and Great we had family a, member. I know. I knew all of our kids had Audrey and Bear blankets, <laughs> but I didn't know about the Swaddle for Swaddle program. But uh, Emmy was born, and she's our second, and she was in the NICU. Um, and we got a Audrey and Bear. Swaddle for swaddle oh, as blanket. a gift. Well, it was just there in the NICU, oh, and I didn't okay. re- I didn't realize it until oh, later. Oh, so it wasn't even a it wasn't from thing. no. It was oh, it so was there. one of the okay. donated blankets. Cool. Yeah, yeah, we worked through nonprofits that distribute them to babies in NICUs. So we worked yes. with foundations and now hospitals. Yeah, we have them in all the hospitals that have NICUs in Utah That's and cool. I mean everywhere. The hospitals love them because they are the perfect amount of stretch for mm-hmm. NICU babies that still need the support of like being in a womb. Yep. But like I said, the non-stretchy blankets don't work. Yep. They don't work at all. So you've created like this really womb-like experience for them to continue to develop. So the nurses, they were supposed to be to give to the babies to take home, but we found out really quickly that they weren't giving them away. They were just keeping them keeping and reusing them. them for all the babies. Wow. Uh, so we have people that give them out as gifts in like gift bags, and then we have hospitals that just use them all the time. Hmm. I bet the stories you have from from that uh, initiative is just they're, they're incredible. I would think. Yeah, there's there's a lot of really tragic tragic things and really hard things that happen to families out there, and if. For, you know, whenever I was having a really hard day, I just opened my email. I'd be like, okay, I'm I'm fine. My problems are so small compared to to what they're going through, and it put everything in perspective, and it kept me going on a lot of really hard days. So that's so cool. Good. Sounds like you found your mission and you're fulfilling your mission. Yeah, we're working on with it with Audrey and Bear. <laughs> that's cool. What um, I mean, you've learned so many things, Rachel. I'm sure, but what what would be a uh, tidbit of advice you'd give? other entrepreneurs that are trying to grow their business, whether intentionally or not intentionally, in your case, mm-hmm. what advice would you give them if you had one piece of advice to give or two, or two pieces? Um, there's a lot. There's a lot to offer there. Um, one, I think, is don't ever get too comfortable. Mm. Don't think you know anything because you don't know anything. Just when you think that you're feeling like everything is going right, you really better be prepared to dig deep because under the surface layer... There's a whole world of things that are happening that you're unaware of. Uh, this happens with, in my experience, with extreme growth. Like our growth curve was just so extreme. Mm. 
for years. We were growing, doubling and tripling our revenue year were over year. Were investors like coming out of the woodwork to fund your company? Nope. Is that usually what, <laughs> that's what happens when you see those no, J curves, right? We we didn't. I I you know what? I we might have. I may have gotten emails. I just never opened them. I just deleted them oh, because wow. I wasn't interested in anybody telling me what to do. And I knew that the second I brought somebody else in, things like expensive programs like Swaddle for Swaddle would be the first things to go because they don't make sense mm. to the bottom line. Mm. They are for the purpose of doing good and not for the purpose of making money. Yeah. So, you know, in business terms, it just doesn't make any a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Fascinating. So, no, I I didn't. And I, I flirted with the idea over the last couple of years after COVID and the entire world has changed in so many different ways and being a small business has become increasingly more difficult month after month with just the way that things are going. I've definitely thought about it, but hmm. I don't think so. Okay. We've gotten to this point on our own. Um, the first year we had Audrey and Bear, we made $30. <laughs> yes. Killed it. But we made money. <laughs> Hopefully you framed some of that. Yeah. No, I don't even remember. I, you know, I really just wanted to like buy cool sewing tools. Oh, cool. <laughs> so that's what no, I was spending it on. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and, you know, right before COVID, we we almost hit $3 million in like six years. Congratulations. So really there's, cool. there's a lot to unpack, though, with that extreme growth curve. You're talking about layers of management taught by somebody who doesn't know how to teach managers or has no experience in working with managers or you know, creating training programs based on things that I've invented in my head that I created that are based on lots of different ex tidbits of different experiences that I now have to regurgitate into a way that's teachable. Mm -hmm. That's really hard. Mm -hmm. uh, even just hiring the right people to be the right culture fit for a team that you've created out of your personality. Like I hired people because I liked them mm -hmm. because I knew I could get along with them not because I felt like they had this rigid set of skills. Yeah. It was all about how we felt when we were at work and how well we got along together and how well we were flexible together. But as you're growing at such an intense rate, it's really hard to maintain that kind of culture and to help everybody else adapt to that kind of culture. And so there becomes a, there's a lot of problems that happen that you don't really realize are happening when you're sitting up here trying to make high-level decisions because you love your company and you want it to grow, but three levels down, there's all these extra problems that you're going to discover when they're not a small problem anymore. And that's really hard. That's really hard to deal with. Yeah, I mean, I think I, we hear that a lot, right? Like um, that you have a lot of ambiguity as a, as a founder and you're wearing so many different hats as a founder that it's so easy to get so focused on what you're doing that you miss a lot of those warning signs and, and you don't see a lot of the, the kind of problems in their infancy. It, it kind of takes longer before you catch them. Yeah. yeah, you're, I mean, one of the hardest things for me when I started was I was a planner and I had a to-do list and at the end of every day, I felt amazing if I checked off everything on my to-do list. And it was not a very long amount of time before I was not even getting close to even accomplishing the first thing on my to-do list. And I got I felt one thing like, done. One. I felt like such a failure. But, you know, as time goes on, that list just keeps getting longer and longer. And you are forced to prioritize things. You have to. And you end up just putting out fires and fires and fires until somebody sits you down and says, you got to stop. <laughs> like, you need to look at the big picture here and see what I'm seeing from the outside because 
all these fires down here that could be easily put out are going to be massive fires tomorrow if you don't create a really great foundation for your company, mm. which in a startup that's growing so rapidly with people who don't have, I don't have an MBA. I don't have any experience. Uh, it, it just becomes really overwhelming really fast. And there's, there's, it's really easy to miss stuff. So I heard one piece of advice say, you, you said, be careful that you don't get too comfortable and remember you're always learning. What's another? You said you had two pieces of advice. Yeah, um, get really good at failure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we hear that all the time. Don't too. take it personally, and don't become emotionally responsive to failure because, you know, the first fifteen times of failing, I was just an emotional wreck, like fetal position bawling on the floor like a three-year-old because <laughs> I felt like I had failed the world, and it was this whole big thing. And after a while, you just kind of get used to it and you start seeing it as yeah. other people see it as a learning experience. Nobody judges you harder than you judge yourself. Yeah, so if you can get outside yourself and see things for what they really are, you're going to be able to fail faster and faster and faster and get better at failing and learning faster and applying faster. And then you're going to grow faster. But mm. man, if you can stop taking things so darn personally, it's going to make a big difference. Great I don't even know if I like the word fail. Like I think there's a stigma. There's a negative it. connotation. Yeah, yeah like because right. with with a founder, it's not a failure. Like it's you're learning, taking really. steps. Like it's a growth opportunity yeah. every time, and and you're doing something good. And whether it was executed perfectly or not, it doesn't necessarily mean it was a failure. Oh, but I, it feels I agree. like one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For yeah. sure. In the it moment, feels, you can't say that, right? Well, and especially when you're bringing in other people into the mix, when you feel yeah. like you've let people down. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a lot of times when I feel like I have to make decisions where there's no right decision. There's a path this way and there's a path this way and there's going to be consequences this way or this way. Mm -hmm. There's going to be negative ramifications of each way you go. A lesser of two evils almost. May Sometimes, mm -hmm. or it's just people's feelings or things mm -hmm. that you know about a person that may have happened two years ago that you still like you're, you're, you feel like you're still taking into consideration when evaluating that person in making this decision, which may or may not actually be true. Yeah. There's so many layers there that yeah. it's it's hardest when you feel like you're letting people down because you you don't know everything. You can't know everything. No. And you're doing your best, but nobody sees everything that's going on all at once. And so you get judged. I feel like judged. Or do they know harshly. everything that's going on and have all the context, right? And that's hard too, right? Or they do, yeah. And then you know, people are going to make whatever decisions they make. And a lot of times they're not going to make the same decisions you do. Yeah. And you have to be okay with that. Yeah. You have to get used to being and learning how to be okay with that. As a, as a female founder, Rachel, that's so impressive to me. And I love, we love bringing female founders on to the show and onto the podcast and hearing their, their stories and their thoughts, especially, did you ever come up, uh, uh, up to any roadblocks because of that, that, oh, yeah. that were hard? <laughs> Uh, in the beginning, it was especially hard, um, mostly because I wasn't super confident in myself, and I, di I didn't, I didn't have a presence of confidence. People didn't see me as being somebody that they could even talk to. Sometimes they would say, "Well, where's your husband?" Mm. or "I want to talk to him," or um, talk to me like I'm five years old because they think I'm mm. not going to understand a process. Or when they find out that I'm the one that they're training how to use this, you know, fifty thousand dollar piece of equipment, and it's not some six foot tall man, uh, you get talked down to a lot oh, interesting. or people just don't think you know what you're doing or what you're talking about. Hmm. Um, not so much anymore. 
I don't feel like I get that anymore. But Do you think it's because it you've gotten more again. assertive over time? Or what advice do you have for female founders that are in that situation? Um, yeah, don't take anyone's crap. Like, call people out on it. Yes, I love if, that. If they're going to treat you like that, then feel free to talk right back at them. Because, the feistiness is coming out. Because they don't, like, Sweet. you just realize over time that they don't know what they're doing either. Nobody yeah. knows what they're doing, really. Good point. Very good point. And you know more about what you're doing than anybody else in the room. So be confident in what you know you can be confident in. Yeah. And don't don't be afraid to call people out when you know that what they're doing is wrong. And hopefully they'll take it as one of those experiences. Be like, oh, yeah, I really messed that up, and I'm going to do better next time. Or be prepared to educate people. Like, the way you said this was really offensive, and here's why. Because of these experiences or because of these these things that usually happen. And women don't respond well when you talk to them like this. So don't do it anymore. And, you know, help them. See, I, I care about you as a person, and I want you to see that this is not this is not going to work for you long term. I either. love that. That's great advice. So what's next for Audrey and Bear? You're doing you're doing swaddle blankets. I heard you earlier say something about pajamas. Uh, yes, we're doing pajamas. I'm so excited. I've wanted to do pajamas for years and years. Our process is very unique. Most most clothing manufacturers they produce thousands of garments at a time. They're all they're tested and they're regulated. They're all exactly the same. And one of the regulations with children's sleepwear specifically is in order to have it fully tested, you have to send in the first piece and the last piece of every lot. And a lot is, det- is predetermined. You decide how much that lot is. If it's a 10,000 or 5,000, whatever it is that you're saying, this entire lot is exactly the same. And you can take the, the testing from one and the testing from the other. And if the, the margin of error is, sig- is small enough, then you can say, okay, this entire lot is good. It's regulated, it's good, and it's gonna be safe. But because we don't do that, we bring in raw fabric and we print on raw fabric and every piece is different. Every design is different. Um, it's been, it was really hard a few years ago to come up with a way to do this, <laughs> exactly. Um, but my husband is now a lawyer and oh, understands the law. <laughs> yes, how a lot convenient. More he graduated from law school. How convenient And you know, there's a lot of different ways to approach it and look at it. And I think yeah. we've found a way that's gonna work for us. Um, we know that we test our products and I know that they're safe and I feel confident putting them out there knowing they're not going to harm anyone. People are, they're going to be fine. And, and I'm, I'm okay with putting it out there, even though it may not be exactly like everybody else does it. Sure. So yes, pajamas. When? Um, we had a little bit of a snafu with our original fabric supplier. So we're not using the same fabric that we're using for a swaddle blankets. We're going to mm. use a different fabric for several different reasons. And the first supplier fell through as I've already started talking about them. So last minute, I found another supplier and we should be getting a sample in this week. And as long as it checks out, then hopefully in like three weeks. Great. That's exciting. So I'm excited about it. Exciting. They're really comfy. Oh. And I wanted to do family matching Christmas pajamas say, for a long Christmas time. Christmas pajamas, so. here we go. <laughs> so we'll pictures. be doing a... a Christmas pre-order launch probably the the end of July, so you can get matching ones. Well, Rachel, as we're as we're kind of wrapping up here, um, we love to ask entrepreneurs, and you've kind of shared a few things, but what's the craziest story you have with building your company or running your company or or whatever the case may be? There's a lot. There's a lot of really crazy things that happen. I think one of the funniest stories. Funniest. It was not Let's funny at the funny. time. Yes. It was very unfunny at the time. <laughs> uh, 
But I have a picture and I look back every once in a while and I remember that, you know, just to laugh because stuff happens all the time and it's fine. When we moved down here from Alaska, it was the first time I'd hired anyone. I was just crazy getting stuff taken care of and we had ordered a, a shipment of fabric to come in, our swaddle fabric, and it was supposed to meet us in Utah when we were coming down from Salt Lake or coming out from Alaska so that we could start production as soon as possible because we had orders just piling up while we were making this move. And the fabric final, finally came. It was like a week just, late. Just a quick question about that. So these orders were still coming from your Etsy store at this point? or had Etsy store, and we had a website at so that point. So you did have a website so we at had that both point. Of them. Okay, yeah. cool. Um, the fabric finally came, and we didn't have a forklift. The guy brought it in, put it right in the middle of our teeny tiny studio right next to our heat press. I was like, awesome, let's get going, like, let's get this done. And I opened up the first roll, and it was neon orange prison suit fabric. Oh, no. <laughs> the pallets had gotten switched oh, no. somewhere, and our stuff was in Washington oh. at a prison, and we had their jumpsuit <laughs> fabric. Oh, my goodness. That's a good story. I cried. I, I cried. bet you did. And oh. I may have yelled at some people at the transport company. She apologizes. That I was not proud of. <laughs> and you still have free transportation to the state. <laughs> so that that was intense. That was intense. But it's still a story we tell when I like just let it roll off. Everything always works out in the end, one way or the other. It's just depend. What are, what are you going to learn from the experience? From this one, I'm not really sure what we learned from it. Besides, don't use that shipping company. Some jumpsuits for when he's doing yard work. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> and they're neon orange. Yeah, that was... Oh, that's hilarious. That's something. (laughs) Well, if, um, you know, the audience is listening, if they have interest and they want to buy one of your blankets or products or jammas that are soon coming out, where do they go to do that? So our website is Mm audreyandbear.com. We have everything listed on there. We we have an Etsy store. We mostly do everything on our website now, though. Um, We have two different sections on our website. There is the ready-to-ship section, and then there's the personalization shop. We're mostly known for personalized swaddle blankets, mm. and so everything else that we put out there can also be personalized. Um, the way it works is you choose your product and your design, but you can always customize it into the colors that you want. So we have a team of remote stay-at-home moms that um, work when their kids go to bed, and they will help you customize whatever product you want into whatever design you want. Mm. So, for example, if you have a gray and white nursery, but you love a design that's navy blue, they will help you turn that design into something that uses your nursery colors or Mm. just something that you like. Uh, So if you want to customize, always go to the personalization shop. If you need something really, really quick, you can order from the ready-to-ship section, and we ship those out within a few days. But even the ready-to-ship ones, you get to put your name on it Stuff like that, no, right? Or is that no, all the customized no, we, ones? Yeah, we switched. We totally separated it so that we can we'll be on mm. Amazon soon. Um, all of our ready-to-ship stuff will be on Amazon. And our personalized stuff, those just go into a different category um, and will be in stores. We opened up our wholesale for that. So we're just trying to open up a lot of avenues for ourselves. Very exciting. So. They're awesome. You don't have to think about baby gifts anymore. Whenever yeah. anybody we know has a gotcha. baby, we just tell my wife as soon as get home. Buy a blanket with their baby name on it. All done. Awesome. Yeah, it's great. Are you, uh, we talked earlier, I can't remember if it was here or pre-show, but we talked about your move to Tennessee soon. Yeah. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Will the company then move with you or you've oh. got it now established <laughs> where it can function here by itself? Yeah, we're, I have amazing, amazing team members and uh, they don't need me in production anymore. They haven't needed me for a long time. That's a sign of a great leader right there. They, oh, you're nice. I don't feel That's like awesome. that. But 
they they're they're really good at their jobs and so all we're moving to Tennessee our family's moving to Tennessee but I'll be traveling back and forth to do um, I still do all the content creation and marketing myself I have I have worked with other marketing teams before and there's just nothing like being able to put the exact message out to the right people that you know exactly what's Amen. going on That's so well said I still will have to come back and do photo shoots and content creation, um, especially now because all small business owners have to be content creators mm-hmm. all the time. So now I'm a videographer as well, which is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> some great uh, people like that. Yeah, um, so we come back and forth to do that, and you know, having interviews with team members and mentoring and things like that. But we'll be mostly in Tennessee. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show with us. Thank you so uh, much for having me. Good yeah. luck, Rachel. So awesome fun to have to you, you here. This is Jake and AJ with Midnight Founders Podcast signing out.